From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. Uh, Today, Manish and I are going to talk a little bit about something that came up in a conversation earlier this week in regards to seasonality trading systems. Uh, or just referred to as seasonality by a lot of folks. Uh, you know, some advisors are familiar with it, some aren't. So we thought, you know what, if we're getting questions, it's probably a good topic for us to hit. Um, on that note, Manish, do you, uh, do you have anything you want to say? You want to just dive right in and, and help us uh, understand what seasonality is? Yeah, let's just dive right in. I think first and foremost, what, what, what's the definition? Like what exactly is seasonality? So yeah. at its basic level, it's just... Um, you know, it's a phenomenon where really price undergoes a specific pattern during a specific period during the year, right? Whether that's based around uh, holidays or uh, month end or, or summer, whatever you want. It, it, it has to do with uh, price movements around certain periods. Right. Um, yeah, I think without, uh, without diving in too deep here, I think the uh, was it sell in May and go away? You know, something we've all heard, but, uh, you know, look, that's, that's just a, a sort of a fable. It's something that we hear, right. But it's not, not something we can really do. What, tell us a little bit about, uh, what that means when you say specific time frames. are there really time frames that are better to trade than others? Well, let's talk about where seasonality came from, right? What, what's the point of seasonality? Yeah. So this, this actually started in the commodity markets where, uh, if you think okay. about it from uh, you know the basic principles of supply and demand. So, for example, heating oil in the winter, uh, demand would go up and then price would follow. And then as summer came, uh, the demand would decrease and price would then follow as well. So uh, the seasonality trends, whether it's commodities like heating oil or orange juice futures, uh, were based in the commodities markets. However, over time, people have studied and extrapolated how these things can also affect the stock market as well. Gotcha. Yeah, see, stock market's where I first heard about it back in, well, it wasn't all the way back. A, a book called, uh, oh, geez, well, what is it here? Stock Market Logic, Norman Fosback. That was something I heard about back in uh, in sort of the early 2000s for the first time. Um you know, and, and that was obviously talking about stocks. He used to have a newsletter, and then he ended up writing a book. And so that's sort of the the cornerstone. I've seen that name come up many, many, many times. In fact, I think we'll throw a, a link to the book in the show notes if, if anybody's really bored and wants to read. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, the stock market is the only place that I'd ever heard of. So I never thought about, like, heating oil and things like that. That's a real, that's a great example of a real uh, seasonality issue. Yeah, and I think what's important to touch on, and we've talked about this in a lot of different episodes, is that... You know, it has to be actionable, right? You can take any data point and, and turn it into a, a social post and talk about it, what what markets do for the three months following the election. But if, if it's not an, an actionable, uh, actionable trading system that you can turn it into, then, it, then it's quite pointless. So every data point that we come across, we then try to turn it into a trading system and see the actual returns and drawdowns and if it's of any value. And, and I think that's important to recognize that, that we're not just bringing up these data points, uh, you know, for water cooler talk. Right. Well, and it's, uh, that's also, uh, before we d- dive into some examples, um, it's probably also valuable just to understand that, that I know we always caution, right? You don't just pick one thing and trade on it. I mean, that's, 
you know, probably not a good setup for success, even if it does look historically good. I mean, we, we want to see that other things are available as well or, or, or looking in a, a prime target. So anyway, let's dive into some examples. I mean, tell us about uh, maybe some holiday seasonality. That's a, I think a good spot to start. Yeah, there, there's tons of different uh, you know, data points you can, you can run with. But let's take example holiday, right? So the theory is that there's specific periods around holidays where the returns are better than normal, being that people kind of mail it in, right? It's a lot of low-volume trading around Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, you know, Wait a second. You're, you're, you're actually starting to sound like an old guy like me. Mail it yeah. in. <laughs> Email it in. <laughs> well, can we email yeah, they, it in? They email there you it in. go. So historically, traders, uh, not just institutional, but individual investors, you know, there's family around. You're not sitting around the day before Thanksgiving trying to, uh, you know, triple lever ETFs all day, right? So there, historically, there's low volume. Uh, and, and typically, with an upward bias market in a low volume day, uh, historically, at least, there's been some, some good opportunity for gains. Now, doesn't mean it always works, right? If you remember last year, or I guess two years, 2018, where we had those those fun Christmas Eve yep. days. Um, and, and so, but let's take it, let's let's look at some specific examples and, and, and turn it into a trading system, which is what we always do. So let's take Thanksgiving, for example, right? Uh, simple, buy three days before Thanksgiving and hold for two days. Going back to 1980, if you just did that and nothing else, your annualized return would be 0.4% with a 78% success rate, meaning that 78% of the time that the trade was a positive trade, with a 3.5% max drawdown. Now, the first response is what, you know, 0.4% annualized return. That's actually pretty good, right, over, over that long of a period to be able to just uh, hold something for, for two days out of the year um, and, and generate that. Right. It's, a, it's a pretty successful trade if, if that's all you're doing. Well, and that, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of cool. Now, one of the things that I mean, jumps out to me at first thought when you say Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving is one of the very unusual days that is locked in to a very specific, you know, Thanksgiving is always on the third Thursday, right? And it, and so there's the Friday is always a half day on the market, and right, it's that's a that's a pretty uh, focused piece. What about some other holidays where maybe the day it's it's the same day of the year but it moves around? Well, Halloween is, for example, like within the Halloween period, there's actually, uh, I think it's October 28th, that's the best day uh, on record in terms of gains. Um, and so when you're talking about other holidays, I don't know, some of that stuff gets a little, you know, wonky, right? Because you, you can't really point to low trading or a half a day before and a market close day. Um, however, you know, you can make the argument for, for Halloween being the end of the sell in May, you know, seasonality in terms of November starting, um, mm -hmm. the end of what some people consider a volatile month. There's a lot of reasons. Um, but honestly, I don't, who gives a shit about the reasons, right? We're just trying to extrapolate seasonal trends and see if it's valid. It, it's right? price, dummy. Yeah. It's price, yeah. dummy. F Haven't we figured that out yet? Dummy. So, uh, so, so let's do the same thing. Going back to 1980, if you buy five days before Halloween and hold, uh, sorry, buy five days and hold for six days, your annualized returns are 1.94% with a 75% success rate and a 7% drawdown. So keep that in mind. You are literally buying five days before Halloween and holding for six days. That means you are invested six days a year generating 1.94% annualized returns since 1980. You know, it, 
Well, this, Listen, some people, I, there's ahead. a lot of strong feelings about this, man, where people are like, you know, it, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's hocus pocus. But, you know, the, the trend is there, whether you want to believe it or not. Yeah, well, this is where I think sometimes, you know, seasonality almost has a cult-like following in many cases. And there aren't, aren't that many folks that I've met that take the uh, approach um, like we do, where there are some validity to it, but you know you got to do some other things as well. I, I think a lot of times, what I, the people that I, the advisors that I've met, when they believe in seasonality, man, that is just the end all, be all. That is where it's at, or you know what, it's all hocus pocus and they don't care about it at all. And I think there's some reasonable middle ground. You've pointed out a couple of examples, but but that's I, I think viable, right? If there are some opportunities. If you went to the casino and somebody said, you know what, if you win on Thursdays, your odds of winning are 75% higher, or, you know, 75% chance of walking away with more money than walking away with none versus the rest of the days of the week. I don't know about you. I go to the casino on Thursdays. So, <laughs> so well, I mean, uh, so, I try, but I have to work so, for Some a of living, these so. have <laughs> some basis behind it. So it's it's not just picking random things, right? So, that, and that's what you have, you have to focus on is what what's the actual basis behind right. it. So the next one is month end and quarter end. So institutional managers okay. uh, on month end and a quarter end basis will, you know, window dress, right? They'll buy the winners to make sure that the reporting uh, shows that they're invested in, in, in the better stocks. And, and that can cause some um, uh, increased volume and, and also possibly some, some gains in terms of uh, going into that window dressing period. So let's test it again. This time I'm going back to 1942. So let's start with the month end. If you bought two days before the end of each month and sold three days after the end of each month, your annualized return just for those you know five days times 12 would be 1.53% since 1953. So 1942, excuse me. Um, now, on the quarter end, this is even more phenomenal. On the quarter end, you buy two days before each quarter end and sell three days after, 2.36% annualized return on, on the S&P 500 uh, price index since 1942. And so that, what? So that's, you're only invested two, three, what? 20 days out of the year based on that quarter end trade? Uh, believe it or not, it's, it's you know, the, the data's there to, to back it up. All right, so I have the pun of the day right here. So even if you have an entirely different trading process, adding this is a little bit of extra seasoning. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's All right, right, move on. I did it. Uh, on the- <laughs> I had to, bro. I had to. It's in my head. Christopher, you, know? you can cut right. some stuff. So, <laughs> so anyway. Um, all right. So we just did a Halloween special. All right. Let's let's hit this. Maybe uh, we did a Halloween special. It was actually around the election. Uh, that was the main topic. And not everybody has necessarily seen that, although I think it's certainly viable. Can we talk about maybe some of the presidential type scenarios that exist around the seasonality concept? Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff around, you know, the, the immediate months following an election. Um, the way we have historically broke it down is, is by the years, right? So the pre-election years, election year, post-election year, and then midterm election year. Uh, trying to see if there's any seasonal trends uh, within those periods. Once again, it's buying at the beginning of that year and selling at the end of that year. And so if you go back, which we did to 1942, once again using uh, S&P 500 price returns, uh, so let's just go through this. Uh, Pre-election year, annualized return is 3.53, election year 1.58, post-election 1.53, and midterm 0.85. Uh, Christopher will throw up this stat on the screen, but the point being, why is the pre-election year 
so much better, even with a lower drawdown than every other year, right? It, it makes sense if you think about it, because politicians are all shitheads and they want to put policies in place that set them up for the election year. So maybe they're doing things that, that possibly are juicing the market uh, in that pre-election year. Uh, the stats bear it out. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that that may be the case. I, I do find it interesting, though, because, you know, at the same time, the markets generally like knowing what's going on as opposed to sort of a mystery market. And you would think if a bunch of elect, if a major election, presidential elections coming up, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Wait, so wait, wait. It almost on, goes this, to but a this contrary is the pre-election point. year. So in the pre-election year, you know, we're... Oh, true. Yeah, My not, bad. We're not I was really thinking talking about year. that. So let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre-election year. The worst year. one is actually mid-election year, which, uh, I mean, who knows what that is. But listen, pre-election year, bottom line, is is almost 50% higher than any year with uh, 50% less max drawdown. And so... Yeah, it's pretty wild when you think about it. I mean, that's, that's you know, stuff that most people just aren't... I don't think most advisors are thinking about, but, you know, look, you watch the talking heads, they're never going to talk about this, but they're going to come up with every other freaking reason why it's something's happening in the market. Um, but, you know, that's a... You know, when you see a nice trend like this, it's, it's kind of nice to know, at least have some idea of what else is happening. It's not necessarily inconsistent. There's no guarantees in life, but again. Um, so, no, I think you, you're probably on it. I mean, setting themselves up for when, because, you know, the, the election shit happens a year, you know, the, the whole year prior. And so, um, you know, pre-election year, it does make sense that it would be up because they're, they're just trying to set themselves up for a, a beauty contest. Yeah. And so, pretty much, you know, to, to take this home, I think what's important to understand is, yes, seasonality matters. Yes, seasonality trading systems can add value. But no, absolutely not. You should not base your entire trading strategy on just seasonality. You know, it's it's icing on the cake. If the market's declining, you know, breath is bad, volume's horrible, you know, things are turning down, you shouldn't buy just because it's Thanksgiving. Uh, it, it, it's something to add um, uh, to the bucket. And so I've seen strategies out there that I can't believe that people actually invest in this, where, where they literally will do sell in May, go in May, for example. Um, and and do nothing about that, and it, it it's just a recipe for disaster. Uh, this is something that is valuable to add to your current systems and your current indicators, but please do not go out and start trading on this by itself. Um, it, it that's not how this works. So you're saying it is seasoning. I'm gonna get you All on right. that one. All right. So uh, I think no, this is this is good info. I uh, hope advisors are finding this useful as a uh, a topic to discuss or or at least banter about a bit uh, with their other co-advisors or or even sometimes clients. Clients will sometimes ask what you know what's going on. Um, you know, around a particular holiday or, or what, what's happening. So good info. Um, what, uh, anything else on this topic before we jump to recommendations? No, that's it. All right, rock and roll. So recommendations, what do you got this week, Manish? Uh, I've been playing a lot of tennis recently, um, you know, with uh, the wife pregnant and all. I'm terrified to go to the gym, so I try to get my exercise on the tennis court. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, little known fact, I, you know, I, I played amateur tennis up until I was about 14, uh, and then stop playing for for a while. So getting back into that, it's a, a COVID friendly sport. Uh, and so my new racket is a pro staff uh, V13 tennis racket. For those of you who follow tennis, it's the Roger Federer, Pete Sampras edition. So uh, it's it's been fun to get back out there and and uh, and hit the ball around. So that's what I got this week. 
Gotcha. Well, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it. Uh, this is something I've been waiting for several months to finally come back. And, and I think I did early on in our podcast recommend The Curse of Oak Island as a show on the History Channel. But uh, I'm actually recommending it again because I just, I was missing it so. Uh, you know, with COVID, right, a lot of our shows are, are delayed in, in their release and so forth. And this is finally back on. Uh, there's two episodes out for season eight. And, uh, I mean, I just, you know, it, it, I just find it intriguing. It's almost mesmerizing um, to watch them dig on the uh, on this little island looking for treasure and trying to figure out the mysteries and deal with some of the uh, archaeological finds and things like that. So, cool stuff. If that's your, your deal, definitely check it out if you haven't already. Cool. Uh, before, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, those returns are S&P 500 price returns. It's not financial advice. Those aren't actual client returns. No fees, taxes, or any other shit is added to it. It's just for <laughs> illustration purposes only. Yada, yada, yada. It is not a recommendation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, look, we love the, the, the having increasing our uh, visitors and watchers and viewers and so forth. So thank you. We always appreciate feedback. You can always just go to our PotomacFund.com website page, click on connect, and, uh, and, and give us your thoughts or ideas for future wait, podcasts. Wait. On we that are, note, no, we're, we're not. We, yeah. uh, so we're also we're doubling down on the YouTube page as well. So, you know, you can oh, find yeah. us on I forgot YouTube about that. and we're going to increase some stuff there, trying to increase our subscriber base there. Uh, a lot of reasons we have it. Maybe one of the next podcast can be why use youtube um but but yeah that's a good point us out on youtube and subscribe there if uh if that's your cup of tea all right on that note i think we've covered the gamut bro let's go all right later ciao all opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of potomac fund management this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.